people, just like in general, people will go and they'll swim in an ocean, they'll swim in a lake, and there are like most definitely dead bodies in there. There's probably a lot of dead bodies in oh, the yeah. ocean, for example, and like probably a decent amount like in the Great Lakes, for example. But if you put a dead body in a pool and like told someone like, hey, jo- go jump in, they'd be like, no, I'm not getting in that pool, which means that there is like some ratio of, of dead, dead body to water, to water <laughs> that people find acceptable. I'm Paige. And I'm Megan. And this is Spooky Science Sisters. Hello, you're listening to Spooky Science Sisters, a podcast where we present to you a science-based and probably very giggly discussion on all things strange and unusual. In this episode, we are very excited to talk about chemistry, but don't worry, it is plenty spooky. Before we get started on today's topic, it is time for Someday Spooky! (laughs) So Paige, has anything spooky happened to you since we recorded just before Christmas? Uh, No, nothing spooky. I just wanted to say Happy New Year to all of our listeners and like, (laughs) maybe... I don't know. Spooky, depressing. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) So far, we are 11 days into 2022, and I'm not feeling terribly optimistic that it's going to be much better than 2020 or 2021. So, Oh, you're a real downer. (laughs) That's that's my something spooky. (laughs) Great. (laughs) What about you? So I also do not have anything specifically spooky to share because I feel like I am past all of the scary things in my life now that we moved and I started my new job in the last couple of weeks. So if you haven't seen us or haven't seen me posting on social media, know that we will be back on a more regular schedule as of now. Yeah. Things were just crazy because I was trying to sell a house and buy a house and move to a new city and unpack all my shit. So, yeah. So, the only other spooky thing is that I have a horrible cold. So, you guys will get to also listen to me sounding super congested Mm -hmm. today. And, yeah. like We were just talking about this, but it is not COVID. I've dodged that bullet successfully for almost two years now. Uh, yeah, we've, I've, multiple tests have been done to show that it is not COVID. So the Omicron has not gotten me yet. (laughs) Um, I would like to back up here a second to, I don't know, notice, I guess, mention that you started to say that we had not been posting on social media and you changed it to you had not been posting on social media. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not going (laughs) to... Megan deserves every ounce of the uh, social media credit because I (laughs) do zero of it. So (laughs) that was like part of the arrangement, though. You were like, I will do the podcast. I don't want to do the social media. (laughs) So that's just part of the rules (laughs) of this arrangement. Oh, geez. Okay. So chemistry, that was a very general 
opening statement. <laughs> this is going to be the spooky chemistry episode. And it is going to be one of those episodes where we are definitely more on, I think, the science side. Uh, not definitely. We are more on the science side than sort of the, like, paranormal, you know, strange and unusual side. But I'm super excited to talk about this yeah. because just like in the chemistry world, in our world out there, there are some truly terrifying chemical compounds that exist Yeah, <laughs> and terrifying stories about what happens to you if you, you know, breathe them or touch them or various other things. So we're going to talk about a few of those today. But importantly, before we dive into that, I wanted to sort of do this PSA, FYI, in this age of rampant science misinformation, particularly with respect to things like ingredients in vaccines and processed foods, I just want to put it out there, and I know this is important to Paige as well, you shouldn't be afraid of chemicals just because they're chemicals. Because spoiler alert, literally everything is made of chemicals. Every single <laughs> if you think that you know of something that is not made of chemicals, you're you're not you're wrong. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like at, like the fundamental, you know, atomic level, it all comes down to chemistry. <laughs> so, okay. So some things are obviously, you know, incredibly dangerous or toxic. Some things can be incredibly dangerous or toxic on their own, but fine in compounds. So this is particularly re relevant to some of the sort of like anti-vaccine stuff that I hear. But for example, the element sodium, the elemental form of sodium is a solid at room temperature that will explode or combust when it comes in co into contact with water. And you can look up YouTube videos of people dropping little nuggets of sodium into water. It's very impressive. Chlorine is a poisonous yellow-green gas at room temperature that when it comes in contact with the moisture in your eyes, your throat, or your lungs will create an acidic solution that will burn them. But you put them together, though, and you have sodium chloride, which is table salt. So I don't know. That's no. just my great example of like, yes, chemistry can be scary, but also... It can make some really useful and wonderful things. Yes, but also it's everything. <laughs> so you interact with chemicals every day, all the time, constantly, whether you recognize that or not. <laughs> if you do any cooking or baking, that's chemistry. Anyway... <laughs> Back to the actually scary ones, and I have so many notes in this outline, so interrupt me if you need to. <laughs> I'm ready. Great. Okay, so back to the actually scary ones. One of these is Acaregia, which, and I think some people pronounce it Acaregia, but whatever. I say Acaregia, it is what it is. And this is one that I guess I'm, I don't know if I want to say fond of, but We'll, we'll say fond because I have worked on it, worked with it on a regular basis for the past 10 years of my life. So what is acaregia? 
Uh, Aquarita, which is also called royal water, is a mixture of concentrated nitric acid and hydrochloric acid, which when you combine them results in a very volatile reaction. Mm -hmm. Uh, Its name comes from the fact that it is able to dissolve noble metals like gold and platinum, which are very difficult to dissolve in most solutions. Um, But once you mix those two acids together, the hydrochloric and the nitric, the solution that you get immediately turns yellow and within a few minutes turns this very bright orange color, which is actually quite a nice color. I was going to say, it's (laughs) actually kind of awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) Um, And starts bubbling vigorously. And this is just like at room temperature, like it's sitting on a counter, it just starts bubbling. And it starts putting off this like very nasty orangish brown gas. And that gas is extremely toxic because the reaction is releasing chlorine gas and nitric oxide, uh, which oxidizes to nitrogen dioxide, and that's what gives it the brownish color. But it is like absolutely do not want to breathe, like will burn your lungs from the inside out kind of gas. <laughs> so it's not good. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, like chlorine gas was like one of the uh, biological weapons or whatever that's like outlawed by the Geneva Convention right. after World War One. So not good. I thought this fact was super cool. The first recorded batch of Akarija was mixed around 800 AD by a Muslim alchemist named Yabir ibn al-Hayyan, who is known as the father of Arabic chemistry. Huh. Yeah, and then it was later used by alchemists trying to make the philosopher's stone, which anytime I think about that, I always think about discovery of witches. <laughs> I think we've talked about it a few times. Like, just go read it, you guys. I, I love it. Why was the first recorded batch mixed? Like, what was the use of it? Couldn't you know? tell you. Okay. It sort of sounded to me like... Just like for funsies. I was going to say, like, was it for funsies I... or like an oopsies? Because the oopsies are like my favorite story. Yeah, I don't know if it was like an oopsies, but more like, yeah, he was like, what happens if I combine these two things together? These two things that are like already yeah. kind of harmful together. Yeah, Let's although I, I sort of presume that like they were probably using it for the purpose of dissolving things like gold for a long time. Because yeah. they were trying to like, you know turn other things into gold and stuff. So anyway, in labs that I've worked in, we mainly used it to clean Teflon vials. So like for a totally mundane (laughs) reason. Uh, But I've also used it to dissolve metal oxide inclusions in mineral samples. Because again, like the metals can be really hard to, some metals can be really hard to dissolve in acids. So you need this stronger solution. Importantly though, so it's it's a scary chemical on its own. It's a little, you know, it's scary to work with because you've got this like very nasty gas coming out of it and it just like sort of looks like some like, you know, it's this bubbling bright orange solution like that just looks like it belongs in some like witch's cauldron. But it is also the one of the main characters, I guess, and one of my favorite chemistry stories ever, 
which is when Akarija was used to hide gold from the Nazis in World War II. So when Hitler was coming into power in the 1930s, two German Nobel Prize winners, Max von Lau and James Frank, who both had ties to the Jewish community, sent their gold Nobel Prize medals to Niels Bohr's lab in Copenhagen for safekeeping. And Niels Bohr is like, he's the Bohr as in the Bohr model of the atom that you learn about in high Mm -hmm. school chemistry. So he is also a Nobel Prize winner. So a lot of smart people who are friends in this story. (laughs) So this is a big deal because at the time it was illegal to send gold out of Germany. And Originally, I guess the Germans had some arrangement that they weren't going to invade Denmark, but they end up taking Denmark and they occupy Copenhagen as of 1940. And it's at this point that a member of Bohr's lab, George de Hevesy, has to think fast. So Bohr's Institute of Theoretical Physics was known to attract and also be involved in protecting Jewish scientists. So both Niels Bohr and George de Hevesy were pretty sure that the Gestapo were going to come and they were going to check things out Mm -hmm. in the lab to make sure that nothing was going on that they didn't like. And de Hevesy was also pretty sure that if they tried to, for example, bury the metals, that the Germans would find evidence of recent digging Um, If they tried to bury them on the grounds and then, you know, obviously they get in trouble. The owners of the metals of Von Lau and Frank get in trouble. So he comes up with a solution, which is to dissolve the metals in Arcarija. Yeah. (laughs) What else would you do with them? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) To prevent them from being found and to keep his fellow lab members safe and their owners safe. And this is like part of the reason this is such an incredible story because like this is like he comes up with this idea like while the Germans are marching through the streets of Copenhagen. He's like, oh, shit, I've (laughs) got to do something. And he is sitting there waiting for these enormous gold medals to dissolve, which like even in Akarija takes a while. So I think he's just like sitting there you know, wanting things to go as fast as possible to hide these. But Mm -hmm. luckily, they dissolve in time. And he puts the beakers full of this bright orange colored liquid up on the shelf. And the Nazis come to look around the lab. And they just left them. They didn't touch them because no one realized what they were. Right. Except for Dehevashi, which is pretty amazing. So, He ended up evacuating to Sweden in 1943 and left the Akarija solutions behind. But the dissolved metal stayed safe on their shelf until he returned after the war. He then was able to precipitate the gold out of solution and he sent it back to the Swedish Academy in Stockholm, where it was recast again into Nobel Prize medals for its original owners. That really is like the coolest story though. I know. It's like, how is this not like a movie or at least like an episode of a show or something? (laughs) So I just love it. It's like, 
you know, here are these like very smart people trying to like do right by the Jewish people in their community and just like using science and their amazing brains to outsmart Nazis. It's amazing. Yeah, it's great. Yes. So side note, uh, George Dehevishi would also go on <laughs> to win his own Nobel Prize. Of course. And he actually won it in 1943 and it was awarded in 1944 for his work on the use of isotopes as tracers in the study of chemical processes. And I also thought that that was amazing because I was like, well, basically I owe my entire career to this <laughs> because like that is what I do. Right. <laughs> so that is my absolute favorite chemistry story. And I guess it's not so much a spooky story as it is. It's just I mean, a cool story. Yes. It's a very cool story. And like, it would also be sort of like it's a thrilling story, right? right? Like you're, you're like if you really think about like, it, you're picturing you're you're picturing this guy like like you said, watching basically watching the seconds tick by, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. hoping like he's like racing the clock, right? As the Nazis are like descending on the lab to try and get the the metals dissolved fast enough, so it's pretty amazing. So that's Akarija. I shared a video about it on TikTok where I told the story. So I did include a little bit more depth uh, this time around in case you are coming here from there. So many people in the comments, though, were like, I want to drink it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was like, no. Don't drink it. (laughs) You definitely don't. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I guess we are going to continue along the path of scary chemicals that Megan has worked with. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure for a a future episode on spooky chemistry, you'll have to like come up with some specific things that you've gotten to work with. Although I really expect you to shine during our lab disasters episode. I have like eight thousand stories for that right i was and, like i'm sure you have personal ones but like you also know a ton yeah of well crazy ones quite frankly like i had a hard time focusing any attention on like one topic until i saw what you had for this because like all i could think about was all the left yeah. i know of and i was like that's not what this episode's supposed to be so yes. yeah i'm prepared yeah <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Okay. So one of the other very dangerous chemicals that I've gotten to work with is hydrofluoric acid. And the first thing, if people are familiar with it at all, um, that people think of, I think, is that it was made famous by Breaking Bad, which is when Walter White and Jesse use it to dissolve a body in a bathtub. So we are going there. (laughs) We're going to spooky chemistry, dissolving human bodies. That's basically where we're going to be the rest of this episode. Yeah. So so if that squicks you out, 
You should just bail now. (laughs) Okay. So in Breaking Bad, they show it like turning this entire human body into just like a pile of goo and completely melting through the bathtub and floor. Turns out it probably wouldn't work so well. So concentrated hydrofluoric acid is very corrosive. But it wouldn't be that great at dissolving your soft tissues, at least to the point where they could be like washed down the drain or like you turn into a pile of goo, like what you see (laughs) in the show. So industrially, industrially, so that really weird. (laughs) Um, Hydrofluoric acid, which is abbreviated HF. So I'll probably just say HF from here on out because I don't want to say the full thing over and over. But HF is used. Most people who have like worked with it call it HF anyway. Exactly. (laughs) So now you'll be in the know. Um, (laughs) Is used to etch glass and clean steel. It's incredibly dangerous. So fatal accidents, meaning that an accident that has caused somebody's death, have occurred where victims were burned on only a small percentage of their body. And there's a couple examples that I wanted to share. So in 1980, a lab tech was killed and he only got a burn on 2.5% of his body. Another lab tech who died uh, was burned on only 9% of his body. So it only takes a small amount to like have a fatal exposure to it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I, I think I maybe have, but Elliot um, had previously worked at a company where they had like parts that were being sent out to like customers that would work with HF. And so if uh-huh. something was sent back to them, they had to be very careful in the way that they handled it when it came back because they weren't entirely sure how well it was cleaned prior to coming to them and their like safety training video about it apparently was like about the it was this guy who like ends up spilling some hf on his arm and then Uh just like freaks out and just like chooses to like saw his arm off instead of try to wash it off because he's like so terrified of it and like yes it's very dangerous and it's scary and if you're working with it like you do need to take some extra you know precautions and be careful but like yes if you get a little like splash on your arm like it's not just insta gonna kill you yes yeah (laughs) it takes it takes some time but it's not gonna be pretty you don't need to cut your arm off. <laughs> no. Importantly, yeah, it takes some time. And like these accidents where it has been small amounts that have killed people, there have been problems with either like the PPE that they were using, so the protective gear, mm-hmm. or problems with like the procedures that they followed afterwards. So like I work with it and I've gotten like tons of trainings on like appropriate handling and what to do if you get it on your skin and there are special things that you like rub on your skin and stuff and it's a whole thing. So why it's so dangerous though is because HF is able to actually penetrate your skin. So it's not just like burning sort of like the skin itself. Uh, it's able to actually like pass through your skin into your bloodstream. <laughs> so after it gets into your bloodstream, the fluoride ion slowly dissociates 
and it has a high affinity for calcium, meaning that like chemically it wants to, it attracts the calcium, it wants to bond with the calcium. So it quickly depletes calcium levels in your blood through the formation of calcium fluoride salts, which is obviously very not good for your heart (laughs) and your circulatory system. Uh, But this actually causes your body to start dissolving your bones to compensate for the loss of calcium. So it's like trying to take the calcium out of your bones because the rest of it is getting bonded with this fluoride ion. This interrupts metabolic processes and eventually causes death through organ failure. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't spooky chemistry. This is like horrifying death chemistry. (laughs) Okay. So that's how HF kills you. Dilute acid. So that's like there's concentrated HF. A lot of industrial processes actually use very dilute HF. And that can actually be more sinister because people don't feel the burn of the acid hitting their skin but it's still able to penetrate into their bloodstream and set off that cascade of reactions that eventually leads to death. So, yep. (laughs) So anyway, okay. Uh, So that is HF. Um, Can kill you is very good at that is very dangerous to use. Probably not that great for the spooky side of things, which is trying to dissolve a dead body. So back to dissolving bodies. And that's you, Paige. Yeah. So <laughs> um, so I am specifically going to talk about lye. But before I get there, we'll talk a little bit about like what acids are and what bases are. So Megan just talked about HF, which is an acid. Um, And in terms of pH, you've got a scale that goes from 0 to 14, where neutral is 7. um, That's pure water. An acid is an aqueous solution that has a pH below 7. And then a base is an aqueous solution with a pH above 7. So in terms of what's happening physically, um, acids are proton donators. um, So they will give up a positively charged particle. Um, You can also think of this as just a hydrogen ion or a positively charged hydrogen atom. Um, A base is the chemical opposite of an acid. And so this can be thought of as accepting protons or releasing negatively charged hydroxide ions when dissolved in water. So in the case of hydrofluoric acid, it's created from the dissociation or separation of hydrogen and fluoride ions when dissolved in water. In your everyday life, there's tons of examples of different acids and bases. Um, Bleach and ammonia are bases. Vinegar is an acid. Um, Citrus fruits are acidic, and that's what gives them the the sour taste. Bases taste bitter, um, and baking soda is is a common one. So that's a little bit about acids and bases. Um, like Megan said, like I said, uh, HF or hydrofluoric acid is an acid. And then I am going to talk about lye, which is a base. Lye is a strong alkali material that is easily dissolved in water to create a caustic solution. And alkali just means base. (laughs) Yeah. And typically lye refers to sodium hydroxide, though it is sometimes used in reference to other alkali metal hydroxides. And those, um, if you're looking at a periodic table, those are the group of elements that are directly under hydrogen. So 
like I said, sodium hydroxide is the most common one, but occasionally potassium hydroxide is also referred to as lye. It can corrode metals. It can strip paint and corrode your skin. Uh, those are some of the scary things it can do, but it is used in many everyday items, including uh, it's really common to be used in hand soaps and a lot of cleaning supplies uh, and is often used to cure some foods. So um, when it is in food, it is an FDA regulated material. It can only be used as a food additive if you're following very specific guidelines. But it is used uh, to cure things like olives or canned mandarin oranges. And when you think about pretzels, pretzels are actually placed into like a lye bath. And that's what gives it that like shiny brown color um, and look to a pretzel. But it's also what gives it that distinctive pretzel taste. Really? Yes. That's crazy. Now I had no you idea. Know. And also, I didn't know, like, when we started looking into this stuff, like, I've heard people talk about lye, and I guess, like, in the setting of it being used as, like, a soap material, mm -hmm. I had no idea that it was sodium hydroxide until we started doing this. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, it's just, like, yeah. It's just one of those examples where it's, like, you frequently, you know, you're coming in contact with chemicals but like you hear their sort of like colloquial or, you know, right. everyday name rather than the actual chemical compound name. Right. So, so now I'm going to talk about <laughs> alkaline hydrolysis, <laughs> which is more commonly known as water cremation. <laughs> yikes. <laughs> um, and like yikes, but also this is like really cool. And I told Elliot while I was looking at this. They're like, maybe this is what I want done with me. I don't know. Okay. Um, okay. So what is it? Uh, so water cremation. It's like exactly what it sounds like. It's it's a way to dispose of a body. But instead of, you know, burning it to ash, you're essentially just dissolving it into a liquid. Uh, and so, so <laughs> the body is in like, the process is that your body is placed into a vessel with a solution of 95% water. And it's only so it's only 5% lye, which is sort of horrifying to me. Um, yes. Because like, here's the thing. I have worked in like several different industries at this point that like uh -huh. use concentrated sodium hydroxide cleaners yep. and like you know that's it is what it is like we you know you use the ppe you're careful with it but yeah. i have also like being in safety been the person who is like had to require the ppe that you use when you you are cleaning with it uh -huh. and like the amount of people who have said to me like oh i could take a bath in this stuff it'll never burn me and it's like um <laughs> but i don't think you can <laughs> Like, but perhaps yeah. not. Yeah. So, yeah, I also, I don't know, just just didn't realize what it was or, like, maybe how dangerous it was. But, yeah, at my old job, we used 50% sodium hydroxide. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I realized, like, just how dangerous it was uh, to come in contact with. Right. So. 
you yeah. know, and you know, you get it on, you get it on your skin for a little bit. Like it's, it's going to leave a good burn on you. Um, this is pretty drastic. So anyways, they put your body in this vessel Great. Uh, with this nice lye solution they've got going here. Um, and then a lot of times they, they heat it up. It sort of depends. It sounds like on who's doing it, what process they use, but basically there's some amount of heat pressure and or agitation that's added to the system to, to sort of speed up the process. And so when exposed to highly alkaline environments or like highly basic environments, water will dissociate into its hydrogen and hydroxide molecules. Proteins are broken down and any pathogens that are there are destroyed. So that is what happens to your body during water cremation. Your body is completely broken down. DNA and RNA are destroyed. Everything is dissolved into water. Like you just become a liquid. And then they can just send you down the drain and treat it like any other wastewater, which Sweet. is also kind of scary to me. But that's apparently what they can do with it. Um, they say the only thing that's left after this process is some bone remnants. Um, now, with, with the right amount of heat, agitation, and pressure, they say that this process can dissolve a body in like three hours. Yeah, it's fast. Which is even scarier to me. <laughs> yeah. Thinking about this, and I guess I didn't really put it together before, but it does make me think of like there are at like Yellowstone, for example. So there are some hot springs that are very acidic, but there are also ones that are basic and like people have accidentally fallen in or animals have fallen in and it's like it doesn't take long for them like yeah. all of them to just disappear <laughs> and then you just i mean everything like they how do they even you're just gone oh, they don't get you there's you're nothing done. they don't even know where you're yeah. at you're just no. a pile of bones yep <laughs> so this alkaline hydrolysis process was used and patented in 1888 by Amos Har Herbert Hansen, who was using it to decompose animal carcasses for fertilizers. There you go. Um, and then in 1993, a system using alkaline hydrolysis was installed at Albany Medical College. Um, that system was used to dissolve the cadavers. And then over the last 30 years, the funeral industry has actually started, uh, it started picking this up and using water cremation as a more environmentally friendly way to dispose of bodies. So it is currently accepted in like 14 states in the US as a way to dispose of a dead body. And I don't remember, it's like very, very few, very, very, very few people will perform it. So it's like you can't just yeah. go anywhere in those states, but it's I'm surprised it's even legal, honestly. Or that it's like not even that it's legal, but that it's just like it seems like kind of a lot of work to like put all yeah. that stuff in, you know? I mean, I don't know. I I mean, it does and it doesn't though, right? Like you would theoretically need less equipment than you would to cremate somebody. Yeah. Because like you just need to have ventilation and I guess that's true. A tub or barrel large enough to fit a person. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't need the, you know, you don't need all the other stuff. So I could be like a more cost effective way to do it too. And like sodium hydroxide is not an expensive chemical yeah. to buy. And like you do it's not like you have to buy 
super pure stuff or anything because it's like well you're gonna use it to dissolve somebody so <laughs> yeah i guess so I, I i don't know why it feels weird to me that it, yeah it's i mean it accepted. feels weird because it's like it's sort of icky to like turn somebody into like goo human goo <laughs> well and it looks like into it if I remember correctly, there was an article I read, and I didn't put the year on here, but I believe it was in 2008 that, I mean, nowhere, it wasn't accepted anywhere. So for yeah. it to to have, you know, changed that much in the last 14 years, 15 years, well, it's 14 years. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, that's pretty cool. So yeah. I, it's not currently accepted in Wisconsin, though it is in Illinois. And I told Elliot, like, maybe this is, maybe this is for me. <laughs> maybe this is for you. Can they take... <laughs> Pets? Yes. They, well, yes. I'm sure they can do that. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that's what you were going like, to ask. How wastewater similar is this? Like, could you filter it and then turn it into pool water? <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Because I think you should tell Elliot, like, um, I want you to make create me a pool. A pool. Out of I mean, I would imagine that it would still have to go through a wastewater treatment facility. You yeah. can't just filter off the bones and shove me in a pool. <laughs> that seems yucky. <laughs> I mean, like, is, my understanding yeah. based off of like the next little bit I'm gonna talk about with the um with some criminal cases is that it's like a it's like a brown liquid and it smells pretty rancid so i think that you got to do a decent amount of treatment before you're gonna be able to do anything with it yeah yeah Yeah. although okay (laughs) (laughs) this reminds me of a i don't know if it's a tweet or like i've definitely seen a few people doing that as like a lip sync thing on tiktok but saying that like people just like in general people will go and they'll swim in an ocean they'll swim in a lake and there are like most definitely dead bodies in there there's probably a lot of dead bodies in oh the yeah ocean, for example and like probably a decent amount like in the great lakes for example but if you put a dead body in a pool and like told someone like hey jo- go jump in they'd be like no i'm not getting in that pool which means that there is like some ratio of, of dead, dead body to water, to water <laughs> that people find acceptable. I don't know if it's the ratio of dead body to water or if it's the fact that you would most definitely see a dead body in a pool. <laughs> At least in the lake, like there's a pretty good chance you're not going to see that dead body. <laughs> okay. Uh, so... <laughs> Of course, this is like I said, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, if something feels kind of icky about being turned into goo, but like I think like it's something feels kind of icky about being pumped full of preservatives well, and then buried yeah. in a box six feet underground. That's fair. So. It's all just kind of icky. Uh, yeah. So I just I like that it's more environmentally friendly than that, yeah. and I think it's cool. But of course, as all good things are, it's ruined by criminal cases who decide let's dissolve the bodies i mean where else did you think this was gonna go (laughs) importantly i don't know like what sort of like legal (laughs) disclosure whatever we need to put in here like this is not instructive (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was thinking about that earlier today. Like, first of all, you and I are both on some sort of weird watch list at this point. For sure. Um, but also, like, it feels a little bit like those drug videos they show you in junior high school where they're like, don't do meth. But if you want to, here's how you make it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways. I mean, obviously, we got all this information from like news articles and stories. So it's like, well, if they can share it, then we can. We Why can also we? share it. But just like <laughs> as a general, whatever, I'm making the statement. None of this is instructive. We do not support this. Yeah, this is not like a how-to or a like step-by-step how to do this kind of thing. Like, obviously, I don't think we've given any step-by-step instructions. In this. So just just putting that out there into the world. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go. Okay. So I am only going to talk about one criminal case. Um, and I'm yes. going to talk about Adolf Lutgert. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah. You picked an old one, which I think is the safe bet. <laughs> yeah. 1897. So only, what, nine years after it was officially patented. Ooh, okay. So Ger- Adolf is a German-American businessman, and he is a sausage maker. Um, <laughs> so he owns like a sausage factory. Uh, <laughs> okay, I am not mature enough. Whew, it's okay. I'm fine. Um. <laughs> So he gets married, they divorce, and then he marries his second wife, who is Louisa Bickenies. 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 Sure. And in January 1878, they get married. Okay. And when they get married, Louisa is now Louisa Lutgert. So she gets a wedding ring, or she gets an she gets LL engraved on her wedding ring as a gift. Oh, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> so in 1893, there's some economic downturn, and Adolf and Louisa's marriage starts to go south. People um, do not want to buy the sausages. Yeah. So that, <laughs> like, the factory starts struggling. And, like, there's definitely some sort of domestic abuse going on in their relationship. Oh, dear. Um, and then I believe it said that at one point he, like, moves out. But then okay. on May 1st of 1897, Louisa goes missing. And as the police are looking for her, they come to the factory and they're um, they talk to one of – the workers there and uh-huh. this worker mentions that they had seen adolf and louisa together at the factory the night of the first oh, and no. the very next day adolf asks his staff to come in to clean up a brown what is described as rancid liquid from off of the floor under one of the vats <sighs> near the furnace yikes um, so the police go and they drain this 12 by 5 vat of this liquid. And at the very bottom, they find some bones and they find two wedding rings, one oh, with the no. LL engraved on it. <gasps> oh, in trouble. So in I guess trouble. you should have 
followed it up with some ocarina. Yeah. Get rid of, <laughs> to those get rid of the wedding, wedding rings. <laughs> yeah. They end up finding some more bones in the furnace. And like, obviously we know what he did. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, like I said, I know there are other criminal cases. Um, and like Megan mentioned, I didn't really look at any newer ones. I don't know that I want to, um, yeah. <laughs> but I know what I need to know. Yeah. I know that there are more recent examples. I know that there like I think Breaking Bad got its inspiration because there have been like drug cartel rings that have used, you know, this method or a similar one right. to dissolve, you know, get rid of people that they had killed. So, yeah, which I mean, if you can reduce somebody down to, you know, some goo and some bone fragments it's like well you put the goo down the drain and then you just like crunch up the bone fragments scatter them to the wind like that's it you know (laughs) that might be instructional (laughs) oh fuck (laughs) fuck you didn't hear that from me (laughs) Um, so then because I have safety brain on always. Uh-huh. Um, while I was reading about these cases, I also came across this case, which is a good reminder to everybody, both if you work in a chemical facility or a laboratory or just a reminder at home to properly label all of your <laughs> bottles. It is very <laughs> important. And like I've, very frequently. Every single year, I find a different one of these stories that I share as part of our housecom training because, like, these things happened far too frequently. But <laughs> in August of 2014, a restaurant employee added lye cleaner to iced tea because they thought it was sugar. Oh, and it I think was, I'd heard this one before. Yeah. And it was like, one of those self-serve iced tea things. And so poor Jan Harding was the first to go get a tea from this self-serve station. And when she drank it, she apparently spit out what she could, but started screaming that she felt her throat and mouth burning. And so, I mean, she, you know, at that point had already swallowed some and unfortunately had to spend two weeks in the hospital due to lye poisoning. Now, fortunately, she's okay. Yes. She survived it. But... Like I said, why it is always important to make sure you label your damn bottles. Yes. So that's- and also just like be aware, again, safety, PSA, you know, you don't have to be afraid of chemicals just for the sake of the main chemicals. But yeah, like have this awareness that you have chemicals, cleaning chemicals in your home that can be quite dangerous <laughs> given the right situation. So... Yeah, just just be aware. Don't mix things together. Don't eat things. Great. Great. <laughs> Wash your hands. <laughs> okay, so to wrap this up, because why not cover all of our um, body dissolving bases? <laughs> um, there are some acids that can be used for this purpose. So sulfuric acid and hydrochloric acid, which are considered strong acids, have also been used 
by real life murderers in attempts to dissolve their victims. So, yes. So when I say strong acid, I I meant that just or I put that distinction in there because HF is actually considered a weak acid. So a strong acid is one that completely dissociates or ionizes, meaning it's releasing all of those protons in an aqueous solution. In contrast, HF is a weak acid because it does not completely dissociate. So those intact molecules are able to pass through your skin before they dissociate and then they wreak havoc on your organs. So either way, it's not great. But anyway, this has been a very grim chemistry episode, but it was fun for us. It was fun. Yes. <laughs> I guess grim on one hand if you look at it, but like we probably should have ended with Akarija because that's sort of like more of an uplifting story. Yeah. <laughs> we defeat the Nazis. We like, started off on a high note and really. Yeah. Yeah. We tricked the Nazis. Like we get the Nobel Prize medals back and then it's like, oh, by the way, here are some murderers and here's how they got rid of the body. <laughs> Short, long story short, chemistry is awesome and chemistry can be spooky. So hopefully if you have an appreciation for chemistry or if you don't have an appreciation for chemistry, you will appreciate that it has some cool spooky applications. That wraps up our episode on spooky chemistry. Tune in for episode 41 for Spooky True Crime Volume 3. If you like this episode, hit subscribe and share with a friend. You can find us on TikTok at Spooky Science, Twitter and Instagram at Spooky SciPod, Facebook at Spooky Science Sisters, and at our website, SpookyScienceSisters.com. If you have any questions about previous topics or ideas for future episodes, email us at SpookyScienceSisters at gmail.com. As always, thank you for listening and stay spooky. If you like all things spooky, then check out A Spooky Tales, hosted by us, Christina, and MJ, where we talk about all things spooky, like paranormal stories, haunted places, myths, and legends, with a focus on Latin America. There are new episodes every Friday. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at SpookyTales.com. Stay spooky! Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are we are always unpacking that very question on sleepover cinema check out sleepover cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com see you soon